So this is one of those weeks where I have a lot more to say uh, than I have time to say it. Uh, and so I, I was going to just tell you now, if you ever find me pausing uh, in the middle of my message today, uh, it's probably because I'm praying over what God wants me to share, over if he wants me to say this part or not say this part. Um, so bear with me if that happens, because I was just been wrestling with this message this week. Just, Lord, what do you want me to say? So much has come to mind. And so, uh, but I have a feeling some of the things I'll say in this service will be different in the other service, that the Lord will direct me that way. So if you see me pausing now, you know why. Well, this week we continue in the book of John, covering the first four chapters, which really focuses on John explaining who Jesus is and the impact that he had on the world, and he still has on the world. And today we're going to be in chapter 4, and the verses are going to be available on the screen, but I always encourage you to turn on or open up your Bible and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, grab one, the seat back in front of you, just go to the middle, head to the right, look for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you're almost there. If you get to Acts and 1 Corinthians, go back the other way, that you may see the words on the pages yourself, and hopefully encourages you to open up God's Word for yourself at home. Now, as we finished up chapter 3 last week, we saw the disciples of John the Baptist come to him and say, listen, John, you're not as popular as you once were. All the followers that you had are now going to Jesus, and, and somehow they thought this would bother John, else why would they come and report it to him in this way? But John the Baptist replied by saying, I must decrease, and he must, anybody? Increase. And he explains why. He says, because Jesus is from above. I'm from down here, just like all of you. I cannot offer you what he offers you. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus says that he offers. That he offers to every one of us. We're going to look at what he brought from above. And the good news is for all of us here today, that what he brought from above, what he brought to the people in those days is what he brought to us today. And so it's my prayer this morning that you will remember what he brought and rejoice and be renewed, or maybe for the first time you will realize what he brought, and today will be the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. That we will all, as Stephanie quoted last week, taste and see that the Lord is good. That we will learn that is how blessed it is to take refuge in him. Amen, church? Amen. All right, I'm going to catch you. We're going to set up the story here. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee. Now, we're not totally sure why Jesus wanted to get out of Dodge. He may have been concerned that the Pharisees were taking too much notice of him, and that it was going to speed up his timeline to be arrested uh, and to die at a time that was not the appointed time. Remember, he always had his father's timeline in mind. And so he decided to leave, though before provoking anything worse. Verse 4, and it says, He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sahar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which is about noon, our time. So high noon. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, 
Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus travels to Samaria to sum this up. Meets a woman at Jacob's well. Same Jacob you can read about in the book of Genesis. The woman comes to the well. Jesus says, hey, can I, get, can I get a drink from you? And she's surprised by this. And there's good reason that she is surprised by this. For many reasons, the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. They had religious differences. They had cultural differences. They had fought over land. Samaritans were a mixed race. They were only part Jewish. And so the Jewish people looked down on Samaritans to the point that they would not even share eating or drinking vessels with, him, with them. They didn't like the Samaritans so much that the, the Pharisees, when they wanted to insult Jesus, they called him a Samaritan. Their intent, the, the, they in, had such an intense hatred for Samaritans that Pharisees even prayed that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. That's pretty, it's messed up. So for this reason, this was unusual. And for a second reason, in those times, men did not speak to women in public. In some areas, they didn't even speak to their wives in public. So it's no wonder she's like, why is this guy speaking to me? She's surprised. And she says, so I'm like, why have you all people would ask me for a drink? And then Jesus, he answers her by revealing her own need for a drink. A different kind of drink. And I want you to listen to these words carefully because the same need this woman had, every single one of us, including myself, has. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. I mean, where did he get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Just so to sum this up, Jesus is saying, listen, I have something that is going to quench you forever. And obviously he's not referring to water here, but he's using it as a, an illustration to symbolize a greater thirst that this woman has, that every single one of us has. And this is the first thing I want to hit home this morning. Like this woman, we're all spiritually thirsty. All of us, we are all spiritually thirsty. We all thirst to be loved in this world. We all thirst to know that we have value. We all thirst to know that we are important and that we have purpose. We long to know where we came from. We long to know where we're going. And we all long for something greater than ourselves. This is why we pursue careers. This is why we we want to fall in love. This is why we want to achieve, achieve things and show off the things that we have achieved. This is why we want to be seen in a good light by other people. 
Because deep down, and most of us don't realize we're doing it, we're trying to quench this spiritual thirst that we have. And then you can see the consequences in our lives when this thirst is not quenched. Because some people, they'll be like, I don't see this, I don't feel this, I don't see this need. But just like when our body starts to shut down when it doesn't have enough water, when our spiritual thirst is not quenched in our lives, our inner lives begin to fail. I mean, where do you think anger, depression, anxiety, jealousy, and unforgiveness and hopelessness, where do you think they come from? They come from the fact that we're spiritually dehydrated in our lives, that we don't have what we need in our minds and in our heart and our souls to operate as God has intended. Some of us were so dehydrated, we don't even realize it. I was reading about dehydration, and it says that when you get really dehydrated, it'll make you tired, that you almost hibernate. But that it's not a restful sleep, so you'll jerk, because your body knows something's wrong. And in the same way, some of you, you, you you're hibernating, you shut down this part of you, this, this search for thirst, but other people can see it. They see the jerks of anger, and hopelessness, and bitterness, and unforgiveness in your lives because you're spiritually dehydrated in your life. Now we start this search when we're quite young to quench this. We don't know it's there. We're not always paying attention to it, but we're constantly looking for more in our lives. There's a constant need that we have for something else. We all do it. It starts when we're young. When we're kids, we get to a point where we understand freedom and wanting to be our own people, right? And so we're like, man, if I could only be old, if I could only be a teenager, if I could only get a car, man, life would be good. And then we get that car and we get into the high school and we're like, man, if I could only be popular, then life would be good. And then that's not enough. Man, oh, my parents were always telling me what to do. Such a drag. If I could only get out on my own. How many people remember saying that? Man, life would be good. And then you get out on your own and you're like, man, if I could only get a better job so I had some money and I wasn't living in a closet, life would be good. And then you get the job and it's still not enough. You look, man, now it's like, if I could only get married, right? If you go off to college, especially if you go to a Christian college, you go, if I can only get married, you know where their slogan is, your ring by spring or your money back, I'll be happy. I'll be filled. Then sometimes we're in a marriage and, and, and then, man, if I could only have children, oh, then I'd be fulfilled. If only, if only, if only. We're constantly thirsting for something more. If I could only move out of Jersey, get lower taxes. If I could only get a new house. If I could only lose weight. If I could only change jobs. If I could only get out of this marriage. If only, if only, if only. There's always an if only that we are chasing to be fulfilled. I mean, I would reckon to say that most, if not all of us in here right now, recently, there was an if only that you've been focused on. The thing that you think about, you hoped for, and you dreamed about, that if you finally get it, oh, I could be at rest. 
be satisfied. Jesus says, whatever it is outside of him, drink it, but know you'll be thirsty again. Solomon wrote an entire book about this. He had everything in the world and it wasn't enough. We had a great series on this. And then you see it today in, in modern day Solomon's when you see celebrities constantly making headlines because why? They're bored. They're discontent. Most of them are changing mates all the time. They're, they're, they're changing friends. They're changing careers. They're changing hairstyles. And we laugh at the tabloids. But we're really just like them. We're just like them. We keep pursuing the things of the world. And the thing in our humanity, the more that we pursue to be quenched spiritually, the more desperate we become, the more dangerous to ourselves we become. You know, I was, I was reading an article. No, no, it was the History Channel before I had kids and I had time to watch TV. I remember they did a, a series on sunken ships, which I don't know why I got into this, but they were talking about a ship in World War II that got sunk. And, um, and the men floated in the middle of the ocean for four or five days in the baking sun. No food, no drink. And the medical officer, he said his biggest fight during that time was to keep men from drinking the salt water because they're so thirsty. But salt water is like the worst thing you can drink. And he said every time they'd start drinking and they wouldn't listen, they'd always be the first to go. And we do the same thing. The more and more desperate we get, the more we choose the things that taste good, that give us quick relief, but they don't satisfy. They do us even more damage. I think of the people who so long to be loved or the young girls that long to be loved that they give their bodies before marriage. I think of the men and the women who have affairs because they long for a better relationship. I think of the people that I've counseled who have turned to drugs just to get relief. The people who are so quenching their need for importance in their jobs that they abandon their families to pursue work at all costs. Or even as I was Reading a couple articles this week, the young men and women who compromise themselves on TikToks to get more views because of that, that feeling that they get, that dopamine that they get from seeing more people like them. Did you know that when you drink, your body releases dopamine? That's why every time when you drink, it's a good feeling because your body already naturally signed, yeah, you need to drink. But not everything that you drink will quench your thirst. Not everything that you drink is good for you. And if you don't know the difference, if you don't understand what can completely quench you in your life, you can kill yourself off spiritually, just like these sailors. But there's good news. There's good news. C.S. Lewis made this beautiful point. It's one of my most favorite points when talking about this subject. He says, that the fact that you have this need for importance and for love and for purpose, it reveals a very beautiful truth about the world. He says this. He says, for every desire you find in a creature, there exists a satisfaction. 
And then he gives some examples. He said, little ducklings, they want to swim. Paddle their little feet. Guess what? Water exists. He said, birds are hungry, and there exists such a thing as worms. Shout to my lactation nurse wife. Babies are thirsty, and there's such a thing as milk. And so if we find with ourselves a deep thirst and that nothing in this world can fully satisfy, it must mean that there's something outside of this world that can fully satisfy if we're willing to look. And Jesus says, this is what I'm offering, and it's from above. He says, it's unlike anything else you have ever tried. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he's drawing a distinction here between a spring, what a spring gives you, and a well. And they had wells in the Near East, but a lot of times what they actually had were cisterns, giant holes in the ground or, or, or giant buckets that would just collect rainwater. And obviously, if it went dry for a long time, it would, it would go dry. There'd be nothing left. Or if you filled up a well or you built over it, it would not be usable. So this is what happens when you're searching for things to fill you up in the world. In fact, God in the Old Testament through the prophet of Jeremiah. He called out his people for doing this very thing. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out, created out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. On the other hand, as Jesus says here, a spring. Do you know a spring is impossible to build on? You could throw junk in it. You can throw dirt on it, whatever you want to do, but the water will just keep bubbling up. And Jesus says, this is what I have to give to you. A living water. A stream of water that bubbles up continually. It bubbles up out of our hearts, the center of us. The point that he's making is that only God can satisfy. Only God can satisfy. Let me say it again. Only God can satisfy that thirst that you have in your lives. Nothing else. Not people, not accomplishments, not words, not actions. Only the Lord. And it's not a temporary satisfaction. I mean, if you notice what he said, it was, a, it was permanent. He says, it is a spring that will refresh you, that will quench you permanently. I mean, imagine. Imagine not thirsting to be loved. Imagine not thirsting for purpose or for identity. Imagine not thirsting for grace, when you mess it up or you don't get it right. Imagine not thirsting for someone to say, I've given you good gifts to serve me. 
says it's going to be a permanent spring that wells up in your life. And then it wells up in every situation. It's not like a one-time thing when you put your faith in Christ, you just feel it welling up inside you and you just glory hits you. You walk around, the birds land on you, you speak to them, rainbows show up wherever you go, you walk on clouds, you bless people, right? No! Does it not happen? Even after this new spring comes into your life, your anger doesn't rush away, your sin doesn't rush away. Oh, I wish it did. Your bitterness doesn't go away. Your self-pity doesn't go away. Your struggles just don't wash away. It's because of our sin nature. And because of the behavior of people around us, we're still in a broken world. Throwing lots and junk and throwing lots of dirt, sometimes by our own hand, on this spring. But no matter what happens, you realize that Jesus has planted something inside of you that, that is underneath all of it, and it keeps springing up. You're never able to put it out. It just keeps coming. You can't stop it. And, and so when you're in times where you are in the most despair, hope just bubbles up. It breaks through. When bad things happen in your life, the joy bubbles up. It breaks through. When things of this life come into you, when, when the bad things come into your life that are going to affect you for the rest of your life, eternity bubbles up. Oh, man, it's not forever. When you, when you don't know what to do in a situation and you're struggling which way to go, clarity, it bubbles up. And the list goes on and on and on and on. When you, when you have failed and you, and you believe God is done with you, you have messed up too much, this, this grace by the Holy Spirit bubbles up. It's a spring in your life. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Like I struggled. I didn't know even how to put it into words because I've been a Christian I, uh, 23 years maybe, I think, something, right? And I didn't get this at first, but now as I sat here and I was working on this message and I looked past in my life and all the ups and the downs and the times of plenty and the times of want and all the times I got it right and the times I got it wrong and the devastation and the tears and and, and, I get, and every time how, how God has shown me how he sustains me, how he quenches that thirst for hope and for love time and time and time again. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't thirst for that? And the beautiful thing about the message of Christ is that it's available to everyone. Isaiah 55, he echoes this when he says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. I mean, look at John 3. I love in John 3 and 4 how John juxtaposes two completely opposite different individuals, right? Couldn't be more opposite. You got a Jew, and then you got a Samaritan. You got a Pharisee, and then you have a person of a rival religion. You have a politician, you got someone with no status, you have someone who was a scholar. You have someone who was probably not educated at all. You have someone who was highly moral. And you had someone who was immoral, as we'll talk about more next time. I mean, you got Nicodemus, where his name is given, an important name. And, and the woman at the well, she had no name. wasn't even worth mentioning. He was a man. She was a woman. He came at night. She was there at noon. 
Nicodemus, he came, he sought out Jesus. Jesus came and he sought out the woman. And so I, I see this and I see these two people in three and in four. And, and it shows me that you have nobody that's so high, that's so above, that's so mighty, so religious, so lofty, so good, that they don't need the gospel. Juxtapose against a woman that represents that you can never sink so low that you would not be noticed and desired by Christ. That gives me hope this morning. It reminds me of what we, we talked about last week. That verse that you see at every football game as football season comes. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, those that are high and those that are low, believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal, eternal life. So begs the question, how do you receive it? Well, first, you have to realize your need. I don't quench my thirst. I don't go and drink until I realize my body is telling me that I'm dehydrated. And in the same way, we don't accept what God has given us until we realize our need. The Bible says that you, you have to think of your life. And you see this analogy a few times like a river. And, and it's a polluted river. But the source of that pollution is all the way at the top. It's all the way at the beginning. It's in our, our hearts. Now, the, the English, in the English, are, are the word heart, it kind of means our emotions versus our head, right? But the word heart in biblical terminology means the core, the center of you, the center of your being from which everything else flows. All your emotions, all your thoughts, all your feelings. And we know what it says in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. He says, it's so crazy, who can understand it? Romans tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so as long as we keep thinking that we can go to our own hearts and not realizing this, we never look to Christ. He said, that's the challenge of the spring that I have for you. You must, you must come to me for it. You, you can't drill it out of yourself. It's, it, it's not in you. You must come to me for it. Christianity, it's getting a new spring in your life. It's getting a, a new fountain that flows into every area of your life over time, pushing the pollutants away, just like you see a river flowing things away down, down river. And so it's asking Christ to be the center of your life. Christ is not someone you come to on Sundays, but that he's the center of your life in every area of your life, the source of your life. What you mean says, okay, Christ, I believe who you are. That means you start to believe the things that he says. It means you start living the way that he has called you to live through his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the more 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 that you go to him in this way, the more and more that you feel satisfied and in all areas of life, 
In times of plenty, you are satisfied because you know everything comes from him. In times of want and in pain and suffering, you're satisfied because you know that his spring is eternal and he is the source of all your hope. Some of you, you may have been in church a long time. You may have been Christians a long time. And, and I preach these things. Now, some of you, you're like, and you're like, yeah, Jesus. You're like, I want to scream out loud, amen, but nobody else does, so I don't want to be weird. But some of you, you're like, this doesn't hit you. You're, you struggle with this. You feel a lack. You're like, I've thrown too much junk in this spring. I, I don't even see it anymore. That's the beauty. It's still there. It never goes away. It's not dependent upon you. It's his spring, not yours. It's outside of you. It's it's bigger than your apathy. It's, It's bigger than your sin. It's bigger than your struggles. It's bigger than your doubt. And all you have to make the choice to do to experience it again is to go back, to go back to that spring. Trusting in his truth. Trusting in what he says about you and what he says and he and what he says about himself. To pick up, in other words, as you pick up his word and in prayer and in be obedience, like picking up glasses of water, and you slowly start to rehydrate yourself. Some of you are so spiritually dry, you're so dusty because you've stopped going the source but there's the good news pause Paul says that he who began a good work in you will complete it you just got to go back to the source you just got to go back and say as we read in Psalm 42 I said Lord as the deer panteth for the water so my soul longs for you help me to Stop drinking from every cistern and well that will never quench me. Help me to return back to your word, trusting in you, being obedient to you, depending on you, praying on you, and drink and drink after drink to become hydrated again. It's fully satisfied no matter what area of life you are. No matter what is going on, there'll be a satisfaction that fills you. And then you'll take that living water, and this is the most beautiful part, and you start sharing it with other people. You become so filled, it overflows, like a cup that you keep pouring water into, and it flows out the side. And you pass it on to those around you. And you lead it, and it brings you to the most glorious moment to where you get to be like Christ, And bring that living water to those who are thirsty.